I'm Luke Simmons. I'm Mark Andrus. And we are here to critique the hell out of culture. Well, 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 welcome back to the King and Culture podcast. As you have already noticed, we are not here today with Seth Trout. In his place is the one, the only, Mark Andrus. It is a pleasure to be here and have this platform. Yeah, it is. It's a uh, substantial downgrade uh, all the way around. Neither of us are as smart as <laughs> Seth put together. So, uh, For all the ways that you talk about how this is the wind Seth up and let him talk, I, that's just not the role I'm going to play today. Yeah, you know, that's okay. And, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't mean you, but, I mean, you put us together, and it's like the faces are made for radio, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's not quite as smart as it is sometimes without Seth. But I'm really glad that you're here, and I f- honestly feel like uh, there's going to be some insight I think you're going to provide in today's conversation that I don't know if Seth would be able to provide. So in some ways, it's a major upgrade. Sweet. There we go. So um, if uh, you're a regular listener, you know that what we're doing right now is a weekly episode where we're talking through, kind of digging deeper on whatever we have been uh, looking at the previous Sunday in our Countercultural Conviction series. And this Sunday, I preached about uh, God's heart for the vulnerable, that God loves the least, the last, and the lost, and we should too. And so that's what we're going to talk more about. And uh uh, for those of you wondering, Seth is out of the country. Uh, he's in Prague with his family. His uh, sister-in-law actually lives there with her family. And so um, they've been on and off and wondered if it was going to happen. And here they, well, there they are, I guess. They're not here. <laughs> and I haven't heard from them. I've, I've been wondering how the uh, 14-hour flight with the uh, two-year-old is going. But uh, I'm assuming no news is good news. I guess so. Yeah, I, I suppose so. But but either way, here we are. And uh, Mark, why do you think I asked you? to come be on this podcast well someone who's near and dear to me when they found out that you asked me their initial response was why you which i thought was a really relevant and apt <laughs> question um i think part of the reason why um at least i'm assuming you asked me is just i have a lot uh a lot that i do here at the church related to care ministry uh, managing and overseeing uh, the benevolence fund um and and a lot of my ministry is coming alongside people who are in significant seasons of need, people who would fall into that category of vulnerable. I also have a role to play in overseeing uh, some of the stuff with foster care and adoption ministry. Um, and so I'm guessing some of my proximity to that had something to do with it. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know Mark, he's the care pastor at Redemption Gateway. Before that, he was a kid's pastor a long, long time ago. Uh, but man, I feel like you've really just come into your own in terms of your role right now. So you do some counseling, you do benevolence, the different things you talked about. And uh, yeah, I feel like you just do it really well. And um, I think as much as anything, you just naturally have more of an eye for and more of a heart for the little guy and the overlooked and the folks on the margins. And I feel like that's one of the gifts you bring to our staff. And that's one of the gifts you bring to our church. And I think one of the gifts you're going to bring to this conversation. So um, you had a chance to listen to the sermon. You were out of town with your family this weekend, but, um, but you got a chance to listen to it. And so I guess having listened to it, Mark, what what should we talk about? (laughs) Well, the, the first thing was just really intriguing to me. And maybe this is more of like a speculative conversation, but what was intriguing was thinking through those, those four categories, I see the the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, and the poor. The poor. Yeah, the quartet of the vulnerable. Yeah. I think it was uh, Waltersdorf that coined that phrase. Um, but yeah, yeah. See, so of those those four, and you, you said something uh, in the sermon that I hadn't really thought about before. But as you said it, it struck me that like even in my own heart, it's just generally true. Which is those first two, the the widow and the orphan. Um, 
my own heart and lots of people that I'm around just were naturally more compassionate and want to move towards and provide care and support for people in those two vulnerable categories. But it seems like there's a lot more hesitancy, again, even in my own heart, towards the latter two of the sojourner and the poor. Um, and even you bring that up on Sunday just made me go, I want to try to figure out a little bit more of why that is and maybe try to critique and understand that with the hopes of then being able to kind of gain some traction and, and do something about that, even even starting in my own heart. And then what does it look like in our ministries to be able to to grow in that area? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's interesting. I, you know, even you said this is a little speculative. It was even a little speculative of me mentioning it in the sermon. Uh, you know, I sort of said that is like, I don't know for sure that this is true. It's just kind of my instinct. I think in our context where a lot of folks are more um, conservative in general and politically conservative in particular, um, you know, I think if you look at the Republican Party, uh, which I'm a registered Republican, um, so I'm talking here among friends. Um, <laughs> you know, I think there, there's, especially in recent years, been uh, less of an appetite for kind of things that would include more immigrants, um, you know, more stringent policies related to that. And there's been, I think, a history as it relates to the poor of saying, you know, we don't want to just provide charity for the poor. Uh, right. We want to make them have to work and we want to make them have to, you know, qualify in certain different ways and, um, kind of the, a lot of fear, um, some of it may be appropriate, some of it not. I've heard kind of conflicting historical accounts of kind of the, the welfare queen, that sort of narrative, yeah. um, has made it where I think, you know, people in kind of it, it, people that think a lot, like I tend to think, uh, of which I think there's probably plenty of those at our church tend to go, eh, Okay, I get if you're a widow and your spouse dies, like, what could you do? Yeah, you can't you know? do anything about that. If you're orphaned, if you're, you know, neglected by your parents, if you end up in a foster care situation or an adoptive situation, like, man, that's not your fault. But I think there's an assumption. A lot of us, I think, kind of hear the word immigrant and we almost put illegal in front of it, yeah. regardless of of uh, whether we have any information about that, uh, just because that's such, so kind of top of mind in the kind of political narrative. And then I think the poor, it's kind of that same thing. So I just, uh, I find in myself, and I think probably in others, a bit of that difference, um, which is interesting. Because on, you know, I was even thinking about it as it relates to the poor, because there is a spot, I think it's in, it's either in First or Second Thessalonians, I can't remember off the top of my head, but where Paul basically, the Apostle Paul says, hey, if you don't work, you don't eat. Right. You know, and you got to take care of yourself. And, uh, you know, as you think about how to care for the widows, the widows that are just kind of being busybodies and going house to house and spreading dissension and problems, like, you know, warn them. Like, that's a huge, we're not, it's not kind of this, uh, no um, expectations involved compassion. Um, And so I think maybe that has, uh, you know, at least I think for me, that has made me kind of go, well, yeah, like, we need to really emphasize that part. And if people aren't pulling their own weight and pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps, then I don't know if they quite deserve my compassion. So I think that's, I think that's been there. I think there's also been a thing for me of like, there's the place where Jesus says, um, the poor you'll always have with you, which has almost, I, I think in my not as holy moments has made me kind of think like, well, then what are we going to help them for? If they're all going to be there anyway, like until the, Jesus returns, we're always going to have the poor with us. And as I've gone back and looked at that passage, I don't think that's Jesus' point. <laughs> Jesus, in the context, it's uh, this woman having an extreme act of 
generosity and worship toward Jesus. And a number of the disciples, including Judas, complaining, ah, we could have used that money to help the poor. Uh, it makes you wonder if Judas would have really wanted to do that or not. Um, but, but Jesus in that context says, hey, you're always going to have the poor, but you're not going to have me. And, and so this is an appropriate act of worship in this moment because right. I'm being, you know, preparing to die. So I just think some of those biblical things, um, when they merge with some of our preconceived political ideology, we can end up kind of maybe having less compassion than the Lord has. Yeah. I think I, and I would agree with that. I've seen, I've seen the, the danger of painting with broad brushstrokes. Yeah, you mentioned hey, which is even to some degree my what my analysis is doing, right? Yeah. I realize like it's broad, <laughs> yes. like it doesn't fit every person. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like the like when you said we hear the word immigrant, and whether or not somebody's saying it, like some of the questions, some of the processing is kind of already assuming or associating with illegal immigration. Yet within immigration, there's so many, there's so many layers to that. There are. There's refugees, there's requests for asylum, there's, there is illegal immigration, there is drug sure. running, there's, there's all these different categories, but when we paint with really broad brushstroke, um, it actually makes it easier for us to kind of detach from the people involved. Um, and, and so I appreciate, like you mentioned, we've, you know, we've partnered with programs like Immigrant Hope. I appreciate that, that there are relationships with programs like that, that, that we get to go, hey, we're, we're actually, we're not just throwing money at something. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not just, you know, we're, we're not just dismissing a problem entirely or, um, or just, you know, ignoring the categories, but we're going, Hey, here's, here's a, here's a program that is designed to, to come alongside people who are pursuing a path to legal citizenship. But that, that process in and of itself is ridiculously difficult. I've got a friend sure. who's going through the citizenship process and at the end of it, she's going to be a better citizen than me like I could not pass that test <laughs> but like you have the the knowledge itself the language barrier and then all these other things that are part of it like that that process sure. is really hard and when when we just kind of do the brushstroke painting of oh it's illegal it's it's you know all, all this kind of stuff then then we really miss out on if I'll use the word the plight of the people who are trying to go through the process the right way um but even then, when we use the language of legal, you know, and trying to go through it the right way, which yes, people ought to do, um, we then also dismiss the real experience and the pain and the suffering of what is it the people are trying to escape from that would lead them to do something mm-hmm. that is dangerous, yeah. and what does it look like for us to to not dismiss them and say, well, too bad, functionally saying your pain, your suffering, your vulnerability doesn't matter because you're responding to it the wrong way. Um, and functionally, we just kind of, we operate that way sometimes. And, and I'm glad that, that Jesus, you know, his, his posture towards us is not one of, I'm not going to help you until you're responding appropriately to the situation that you're in. Yeah. When it's a place where our Christianity has to come ahead of our politics. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember a few years ago, there was a, You know, there was a lot of asylum. I think it was in kind of like the first half of the Trump administration. So it would have been 2017, 18. There were lots of opportunities um, for Christians to host asylum seekers and refugees who were showing up at the border, oftentimes with their kids, um, many times fleeing Guatemala and Honduras especially. And um, they needed a place to stay before they got uh, sent usually by Greyhound bus right. to some family member in another part of the country where then they would have to kind of go through whatever the process is for 
claiming asylum. And, uh, and so we just, some of our ministry partners and friends in the city said, hey, we're looking for people to host. We're looking for people to provide homes. And so uh, I opened up, we opened up our home. Other folks in our church did. I think at that point I made a little bit of a public, like, hey, if you'd like to be involved with this, you're welcome to do it. Um, and some of the kind of pushback I got was related to the policy of right. whether we should be as a nation allowing these folks and well how many of them are actually going to turn up at their court hearing and how many of them really have a valid claim and blah 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 and what i just would say to those folks at that time was like i have no idea and i'm not responsible for that right that is not my like if i worked in the government if i worked for the homeland security or if i worked for immigration or ice like that would matter more to me i have opinions about it but i but they're here. Yeah. <laughs> and they're and, no, um, and nobody's asked you for your opinion from the federal government right. saying, Luke, speak into this. No, but the federal government was asking churches to help. Right. So the, it was one of those government places, was asking. the government was saying, Hey Christians, yeah. will you please act Christian now and love <laughs> our these people that are here? And so at that point I'm going, Well, yeah, like it sure. I'll I'll respond to that. Um, and so I do think sometimes, you know, because everything the new religion everywhere is is politics and partisanship. Um, inevitably when you get into these situations uh, and into these issues, it, it, you know, because a lot of uh, partisan uh, issues do relate to what is the government's role in helping the poor and helping the vulnerable and helping the overlooked. And so you can't get away from it entirely. And yet I do want to make sure we have our priorities straight. Yeah. Yeah. I was just one thing I want to touch on with that is, um, you know, you mentioned people would give you some pushback and, you know, um, I know a handful of people that would kind of be in that category in that camp. And like none of those people are hateful people. Sure. None of those people are selfish, greedy, you know, they're coming for our jobs, that kind of thing. Like they're, they're real Christians that genuinely love people. Um, and yet there's also a real concern. Um, so I, just, I, a, I want to just kind of acknowledge, like they're not, <laughs> they're not bad Christians. They're not bad people. There's just a, there's a, heightened concern on a particular issue that other people don't have. Um, what, what does it look like though, to, to shepherd those kinds of conversations in a way that isn't condescending in a way that isn't just saying, Hey, you're, you got your priorities wrong. Like how, how, how does it sure. look like to, to kind of wisely and, and winsomely come alongside those people and encourage them to the words they use have kind of put Christianity above the you know political affiliation. Yeah. Well, well, it's interesting because, um, what I try to do in that instance and what I think I would generally try to do is say, Hey, why don't you get in, get more proximity to this issue, get involved with it and, and let's talk about how that affects your, and, and so there were actually a few people who initially were resistant, who ended up hosting people in their home (laughs) and realizing, Oh wow. Like when I'm actually with these people who have walked hundreds of miles, like walked mm-hmm. hundreds of miles with little babies. And I hear oftentimes through Google translate some version of what their story is. And I start to go, Oh wow. I had no idea. Or, um, you know, it's just, you always see things really clearly from a distance. <laughs> That's so true. And you get closer to it and you go, Oh, th- this is more complicated. And you realize, and it's more human. Right. Like I remember, I remember one time when one of the families we hosted, uh, they, uh, the, the man had a little girl who was almost the exact same age as, as my daughter, Mary. And they went into the playroom and, um, 
they started playing with these toys and they couldn't talk to each other. They couldn't communicate with words, but I walked in probably 10 minutes later and I just sort of stood there at the edge of the room where they didn't know I was watching. And it was like, it looked no different than Mary with any of her other friends. And you start to go like, Oh wow. And I remember at one point, like walking, walking by the guest room and seeing this man, like at his bedside praying. Oh wow. And going like, Oh, like, this guy's maybe a believer. I can't talk to him enough to actually know, nor am I going to try to like, yeah, if you died today, well, you know, <laughs> like I, I don't know how to say that in Spanish. So, um, you know, but you just start getting closer to it and you realize like, oh man, this is not so simple yeah. and so simplistic. And it doesn't mean we don't have principles and it doesn't mean, again, if we were in positions of power and authority and responsibility that we might not handle stuff differently. Yeah. But I think when you get closer to it, you start to go, oh, this is different than I thought. Yeah. There's a, it's funny you said that, you know, from a distance, everything is clear. There's a, there's a safety in that distance. Because mm-hmm. I, I know, I know what to do. I know what not to do. Like the, the black and white, the lines are very clearly drawn. Um, and there's just a ton of discomfort and uncertainty, which nobody likes to be in a position of uncertainty. You know, nobody sure. wants to feel like, I don't know what to do. Right. Um, that that when you move into proximity, like all those lines, at least it get blurred, and it's just I don't want to feel unsafe, and then like I, I don't want to feel ill-equipped, and like I don't know what to do. So it makes it makes sense that we that we would kind of our hearts would lean in some of those moments towards the the safety and the certainty of that distance. Yeah. You you kind of gave that that exhortation at the end of the sermon of you know perhaps God is calling us to to move into proximity. The image that uh, there were there were two things about Jesus that uh, that came to mind when when I was listening to that the first is um, when uh, you know it was a story of Jesus healing the lepers hmm. and you know all sorts of biblical history stuff but here's this group of lepers that because of the the contagiousness of their disease have to be kind of outcasts of the city they're not allowed to interact with anyone they're kind of allowed on their own and however long that they've been out there how long has it been since they've had any kind of actual physical touch mm, with yeah, someone sure. and yeah what Jesus with a word as he had with so many other people. Hey, your daughter is healed. Your faith has made you well. Like the woman touched the hem of his garment, but there's no other physical, like just a word. But with a leper, he could have just said something. Yeah. Yeah. But something about that, like Jesus leans into the physical proximity and, and meets not just the physical need of healing this guy, but also the emotional relational need. Imagine just the, the drought of, you know, man, if I, if I go home, my kids and my wife don't give me a hug within like 45 seconds of when I get home. It's like, what have I done wrong? Like, what do I need to fix? Like, I feel like every, everything then is just shaken in my world. Mm. You know, this has been five, 10, 15 years for these lepers to be out there without any kind of physical touch. And here comes Jesus. And instead of just giving word, he puts his hand out and he touches the guy mm. and addresses like, I'm, I'm moving into your disease. I'm moving into the messiness. And, and I see the need that you have is not just for physical healing, but it's for proximity, it's for relationship. And it's good. And that, I mean, Jesus was accused of all sorts of things. I wonder how many people would have seen that and gone like, oh my goodness, Jesus broke more of the, of the sure. Levitical laws of uncleanliness and all that kind of stuff. He does the same thing with the, with the guy who's blind. Again, because hmm. he said, hey, you're blind. Yeah, it's funny. I was just thinking of that story. I don't know if you're thinking about the same one, but uh, I'm thinking of... The one, well, go ahead. Which one do you think? Well, the one where he spits. Yeah, the one where he spits and he fashions the mud, which by the way, like generally speaking, (laughs) spitting on people, especially in COVID is kind of gross, you know? So like we should, I don't, I think that's descriptive, not prescriptive of how we ought to interact with people. But, um, you know, so Jesus, again, could have healed the guy with the word, 
But this physical touch is moving toward, again, the assumption in that time is if you have some kind of disability, it's because of some kind of sin or uncleanliness or sin of your parents. And to be associated with people like that um, is to is to demean and diminish yourself and to cost yourself reputation. Um, and Jesus moves in, and again, there's this physical contact in a very intimate way um, that, that we see kind of culminated in Revelation of, you know, God who's going to wipe every tear away from their eyes. Yeah. And like, Luke, no offense, but if you were crying, I would not wipe a tear away from your eye. That's just a degree of intimacy that isn't appropriate for our relationship. I do that with my wife, do that with my kids. Sure. And and that's the the action of God that you see kind of in that moment of Jesus, like moving towards this physical touch, this intimacy on the face of a person, and what that what that depicts in terms of proximity to people who are hurting, to people who have been outcast, to people who would fall into that that quartet of vulnerability. Um, I think it's worthwhile for us to consider um, in, in small scale and large scale ways, what, what could that proximity look like for me with an individual relationship with this person? Um, but, but if we, it's easy for us to kind of talk ourselves out of any kind of movement when we get overwhelmed by the, the grandiosity of the need, like there's so much, how can I do anything about poverty? How can I do anything about this? And we look at the big issue, oh, there's nothing I can do. And we'd be better served by going, okay, yeah, I can't do anything about that. But here's this person that's in my house. Here's this person that is in front of me right now. And I can't solve all the problems, but I can, you know, appropriately touch this person in some way. Yeah, well, and and I I think that's a a fantastic point. And and I was thinking of the same story as you. So it's in John 9. And um, it begins this way. It says, as he passed by, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And then Jesus says, it wasn't that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then he goes on to, you know, spit in the mud and, and or spit in the dirt and make mud and do that whole thing. The, the interesting thing about it is the indication is the man's standing right there. And they're talking about him. Yeah. And the disciples want to, they want to analyze and they want to evaluate and they want to judge mm-hmm. and um they're doing it pretty callously like right i mean there's no indication like and then they backtrack to find the blind man and jesus <laughs> made the mud it's like the, the indication he's standing there or at least nearby and if you know anything about blind people what other senses of hearing are especially strong yeah or it was sense of whether well, senses are strong it's hearing yeah right and so he even if they're like hey jesus who sinned like the guy probably heard them, right? And I think that that is um, that is the difference often between us and Jesus is we see people in need and we analyze them as a project, yeah, or as a case study, yep. And Jesus sees the person, yeah. And I think that's one of the things that you, that you really do well is, uh, and I think you probably could testify to when you get closer to situations, they get more complex, they get more difficult. You start to feel more incompetent. Right. And uh, that is probably often the reason why we tend to stay away. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. One of the other things I was just wondering about is, you know, and I, I have a, I have a perspective on this as I'm involved with the benevolence ministry um, is, you know, benevolence and counseling. Most of the time people don't come in and ask for help Yeah, until they've already been needing it for two weeks two months, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it's kind of like this last ditch effort, desperation sort of thing. Um, when in reality, like 
the need has been there for a long time and the resources to meet that need counseling care otherwise has has been there for a long time but there just is this hesitancy this resistance to to acknowledge need to ask for help yeah um I, I have some I have some thoughts on that, but you've also been doing pastoral ministry a lot longer than I have. Just as you've been around people um, and have seen these things play out, why why do you think we have that that resistance, that hesitancy to acknowledge our need and and ask for those help the help and resources? Yeah, I mean, I I really do want to hear much more of what you think about it. I mean, I I think it's uh, to be needy is to be. I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't succeed. I couldn't win. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't. And so it, it is a place of vulnerability and people generally, unless they're like massively unhealthy, don't love to like flaunt their vulnerability all over the place. <clears throat> and so I think, I think that there's that sense of it's, it's embarrassing. The other thing that I think is interesting is I, and I forget where I heard this. I heard, I heard some woman, uh, or maybe read this woman that wrote about this, but the idea was that if you're eager to give help, but you're unwilling to ask for help, what that's revealing is that actually even the help that you're trying to give is paternalistic and trying to kind of, you know, look down on people. Yeah. Um, you're the, quoting, you're quoting Brene Brown. Is that who it is? That was, she okay. said that at a global leadership summit probably eight years ago. I was there and it wrecked me because she was talking about me. Hmm. And God used that quote to really confront my pride of like, hey, I'm I'm the person that helps. I have the answer. And yet, what does it say about how, what I really think about those people if I'm not willing to ask for help myself? Somehow saying that if you need help, you're you're less than. And hmm. that was a, that was a Brene Brown. Like I said, that was a major wrecking ball. In and that made a, that made a difference for you. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm, there's a. I mean, you can always oversell like hard purpleized things. Like I, I don't. I might not be in this role today. Had I not heard that eight years ago, like oh, wow. the way that confronted just a lot of I my, I knew that. my pride and, and condescension mm. tendencies. Yeah. So it's what she, her point then is to go, Hey, you think you're helping people, but you're actually just kind of asserting your superiority over mm-hmm. them because you wouldn't dare someone else help you because that would feel like they were asserting their superiority over right. you. And if that's how you feel about receiving help, then that's actually kind of what you're doing when you're giving help. Yeah. And, uh, so what's changed in your, in your mentality? I mean, I'm sure that that's still a temptation oh, at yeah, times, certainly. but how has that changed and affected? Because it, whenever you heard that eight years ago, you weren't in a care ministry role, nope. and now you are. How has that impacted it? Yeah, I mean, the over the past you know six, seven, eight years, however long that's been, um, what it's one of the first things it made me do was really kind of uh, reengage and kind of investigate what do I really think about people that need help? Hmm. Um, what are those judgments? What are those who sinned that this man or his parents that this happened? Like what are some of those kind of subconscious and unfortunately sometimes conscious thoughts that were there? And cer- certainly sometimes those come out and there's, you know, still and there's a quickness to judge. Well, of course this is happening because you did X, Y, and Z. Um, but it really, like I said, kind of con- had confronted me and really going, what do I like? Do I see these people? Or am I trying to determine whether or not they deserve what's happened to them and therefore deserve my help, which is paternalistic and superiority and prideful and and so on and so forth. So like, that's the first thing really kind of confronting that. Um, The second thing is um, like the, the, the practice and the value of 
asking for help even when you don't need it necessarily. Mm. Um, so within, you know, within the body of Christ, you know, that, I think it's in first Corinthians 12. Um, I think it's where it is. We're talking about the body and, you know, don't let this part say, I have no need of you. Like the entire body works and functions together. Paul kind of fleshes that out even more in Ephesians four and five. Um, but I don't always need help for certain things. Like I have the capacity, I have the ability to get this project done, to plan this task, to plan this event, to do this counseling appointment, do whatever. Um, but, but to cultivate that practice of going to somebody else, whether that's a, you know, another pastor, somebody on staff, somebody in a small group, a friend going, Hey, I've got this meeting coming up. Will you pray for me? Mm. Um, and, and to do that, not as like an afterthought of checking off the box, but to, to go like, I, there's a real chance I could go in and do this on my own and functionally not really need God for it. Mm. But that's a dangerous place to me, for me to be in. That's also, you know, I have the ability to do a lot of collateral damage then for the person I'm, you know, working with in that moment. Um, and I, you know, do no harm, like the whole thing, like, I don't want that to happen. And so, so that to cultivate asking for help, even when you don't think you need it is not just a, a humbling thing for me, but then it also serves as an opportunity for other people to be needed, to be valuable. Mm-hmm. You talk about that quote of uh, the symbiotic relationship of, you know, the wealthy met the needs of the poor yeah. and the poor in the church prayed. Yeah. And that's like, we're not primarily looking at transactional, like evening out the scales, that kind of thing. But like the prayer was infinitely more valuable than the meeting of those different needs. Mm. Um, and so that's how, like, that's some of the ways that's impacted me. And, yeah. and, um, and then even seeing like just the value in, in plurality in different settings, just going like, I, I, I don't want to make decisions alone. I want to get my wife's input on stuff. There are times where I go like, Hey kids, what do you think about this? Sure. Um, and again, just to kind of remove myself from the position where I'm kind of on a pedestal as I'm the helper, everybody else needs me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there is a kind of bonding that happens when someone cares for you. Yeah. You know, and when you care for someone else, when you let someone else do that, uh, it really is a gift that you're giving them. So uh, you mentioned earlier that you kind of oversee our benevolence process. Yeah. And that's something probably a bunch of people don't know about. And so... um I was once told, I remember an elder at a church where I was previously said that that's the worst job in the church <laughs> is to be in charge of the benevolence process. So I don't know if that, if you would say amen to that or go, uh, well, no, it's not quite that bad, but it, it it's a daunting thing. So, um, yeah. and what's interesting is, uh, well, yeah, I mean, what's interesting is it's kind of one of those things where like, we've always had some benevolence money. You know, it's something that people can designate giving to. Right. Most things in our church, you can't designate, you can't say, hey, I'm giving this $100 to the RC ministry, or I'm giving this to the student ministry. Benevolence is one that you can designate for it. And so some people give that way. Um, and a lot of people gave that way over the pandemic. Yeah, it's been And so we've got generous. way more money in benevolence than uh, we've ever had. And it's kind of uh, creating some different challenges and, and blessings with that as well. But talk maybe just about what is the benevolence process? How does it work? Yeah. Uh, how does it, yeah, give us kind of a yeah. sense of that. First of all, I would I would actually disagree with that elder, but I think there's a difference of, of context, which is uh, he had a lot of walk-ins, yeah. like people off the street, um, just because of where that's located and, and the ease of people coming in. And, you know, in those situations, there is no relationship. A lot of those folks really are looking for a handout. And he, would yeah, also, he, he also said he wanted... Uh, 
he wanted to rename the church Zion Bible Church so that when people uh, so when people were looking through the phone book and calling churches for you know just random uh asks for help they like no one would get to them and I thought maybe we have I don't know if we have the right guy overseeing this or the wrong guy but a little bit of both yeah yeah I mean, the, the interesting thing is that he had a lot of those walk-ins. You don't have the opportunity to get proximity, and you are in a position of really like, I, I need to be a good steward of these funds. Sure. Um, man, it seems like every person's coming in with kind of the same story. And, and it's the number of to- people that run out of gas in the parking <laughs> lot is just astounding. Yeah, so it's yeah. crazy, something about that area. But um, what's interesting is, so here at Gateway, you know, I've been overseeing the Benevolence Fund for um, almost four years at this point, and maybe I've had three or four of those walk-ins and I've had three or four of the phone calls where it's like I've been working my way through the phone book. Um, so I, I haven't had the volume that I know he had to deal with. And, and that stuff's like, it is hard and there's some weight in that. And you do have to, you do have to carry the, the weight of like, sometimes it's not the right thing to give money and then to mm-hmm. deal sometimes with disappointment or anger or whatever is coming. But, but well, I want to talk more about yeah. that in a minute, but yeah. give us, so give us kind of the typical process yeah. for, so usually if, uh, if there's a, if there's a financial need that comes up, somebody will somehow get in touch with me and either they'll kind of nominate, say, Hey, call this person. They got this thing going on or, Hey, can you reach out to, it's actually less common for somebody to reach out and go, Hey, I need help. Usually it gets put on my radar and I kind of initiate the conversation, but, um, and so, that is probably what we were talking about before of kind of the embarrassment yeah, and the certainly, or people kind of in, maybe they're not even to that point, but just going like, Hey, I think I can still figure this out. Right. Yeah, I want to exhaust every, you know, every possible thing. Yeah. Um, you know, so, but some, once, once one of those situations gets on my radar, um, there's a, there's a process that goes in there that I won't bore you with the details, but like, especially if it's related to kind of a significant ongoing, like bills every month kind of thing where somebody's constantly behind on rent or electricity, that kind of stuff. There's a process to kind of review, um, kind of what, what their financial system is, you know, what's coming in, what's going out, you know, there's a, but, you know, kind of walking somebody through, uh, basically kind of financial counseling 101, help them make a budget. And some of that is even just to determine, Hey, do they have spending patterns that they can kind of adjust so that they can meet the need on their own? Um, you know, cause what we don't want to do is we don't want to put a, you know, put a bandaid on a, on a gaping wound where they're sure. just going to be back in the same place a month later. Um, so really kind of that idea of wanting to pursue, more sustainable help rather than just meeting a, you know, an individual. Yeah. Cause need. we're not in a spot to go, Hey, we'll just be able to cover your rent. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. You know, that a wouldn't, of, that wouldn't time, be helpful for them either. Right. Yeah. Cause people generally, you know, I mean, you in a financial bind, you either need more income or less expenses. Yeah. And, uh, and so you go through a process to go, yeah. Hey, is there a way to help you have more income or fewer right. expenses? And then, um, we're trying to, benevolence to it sounds like you're saying more kind of step into the short term yeah meet uh kind of shorter term gap yep. fill, fill gaps that kind of thing yeah and certainly there are like so there's a whole process they'll go through and you know and, and eventually trying to get to the point to help them make some of those decisions you know to curtail some spending if they're able to a lot of times people already have and it's just a matter of especially during the pandemic hey i lost my job this kind of income is no longer available to me and there's there's been some really difficult situations um, but we, we are able to use that benevolence that like you said to step into the short term and help fill some of those gaps, especially when there's emergencies, uh, medical emergencies, unexpected expenses, um, you know, a vehicle that, you know, it's somebody who's managing their finances as well. They just don't have much of a savings fund built up because of where they're at right now, not because of foolishness. And, you know, an AC unit goes out and there's repairs on that or vehicle sort of thing that 
in order for them to deal with that is going to actually cause, you know, greater damage and put them in further debt and start, you know, interest rates on credit cards. And so we have ability to kind of come in and, and offset some of those costs, um, not just with um, not just the financial needs, although that is kind of the number one thing, but there's also a lot of folks um, who are um, receiving some support from the Benevolence Fund. You know, people have gone through a significant amount of trauma, whether it's been coming out of an abusive marriage, uh, whether it's been, um, you know, kids who've had traumatic experiences, people with PTSD, and there's kind of therapy um, and specific kind of counseling therapy that, that they really need for their kind of soul healing mm-hmm. and recovery from that kind of stuff. Um, that stuff's not cheap. Sure. And so there's a, there are oftentimes where we'll come in and be able to not just meet some of those financial needs, you know, not just go, Hey, you're healed, yep. but also some of the physical touch and some of the more holistic care. And so benevolence is, we are also able to use some of that to, uh, to help people get more of that, the help that they need. As so well. a couple of kind of more rapid fire questions, I guess. Yeah. Do we ever give cash? No. Why not? <laughs> Sorry, you said rapid fire, so I'll give you a one-word oh, answer. Yeah. Um, so part of it is uh, that could – the government doesn't like that because, you know, oh, money laundering and all that kind of stuff. But sure. um, we don't give cash directly to people. Um, some of that's just wisdom, um, but but a lot of that is so – we'll, we'll write a check to the landlord. Yeah, to, or we'll to, write a check to the AC Yeah, to the lender, to the mortgage holder, okay. whoever that is, but never cash directly to people. Do we always say yes? Nope. So what would be some reasons why we wouldn't say yes? Yeah. Um, some of the reasons why we wouldn't say yes um, would be because some people do have the assets to meet their own needs and simply don't want to or aren't willing to. Um, and it's not always a hard heartedness. Sometimes it's going like, well, I'm counting the cost and that just isn't worth it to me. Um, and so as a good steward, like I'm, I'm going to, as I'm overseeing the benevolence funds, I'm going, well, you have assets that you could use. You're choosing not to. Your need is still real, but you have a way that you can meet that need. You're choosing not to. I have people that don't have the assets that you do, and I'm going to save this money to be able to use for them. And that's not a fun conversation. Um, some of it's that. And then there's been a few moments where, um, you know, over the past couple of years, where it's just been um, a history of kind of unwise spending and an unwillingness to kind of adjust some of that stuff. And there have been, there have been a couple of moments where it's like, you're not being foolish. Like, you're doing everything that you can. Um but us meeting this need is delaying the inevitable of like, you're still going to get evicted or this thing is going to happen later on, like 30 days from now. And so rather than putting, you know, essentially kind of throwing that money away, let's use that to help you get into a new apartment to, to, you know, move again towards the idea of sustainability okay. rather than just delaying the inevitable. So I'm imagining four kinds of people and I'm curious how this would affect our approach. So one might be covenant member, Another might be a regular attender. Another might be some sort of loose connection to the church. They've been here a few times or right. they come sporadically or, you know, they know somebody that knows somebody and they're here. Or the fourth category would be like the drop in, right. you know, random kind of thing. Would would we approach those differently? Is one of those groups more likely to get more help or how does that work yeah, and that's why? A- that's a great question. So I'd say the, the covenant members and the regular attenders, um, there's going to be, there's going to be a lot more engaging in that process, a lot more consideration for what do you guys need? What would that look like? How can we best come alongside and help? Um, and you know, and again, that's like, Hey, here's, here's already proximity. It's easier than to get those folks connected with, you know, resources within the church and community that are going to be able to continue walking with them as opposed to kind of the loosely connected or the drop-ins. 
So there's there's more tenderness given to that. Um, is that favoritism? I mean, <laughs> I'm sure that we could be accused of that. Um, and and if that's a definition somebody want to use, like I suppose, I mean, I can't argue with that definition. I don't look at it as favoritism. I look at it as um, as being a good steward of the resources. And there's also an instruction to to care for those who are in the body of Christ. Um, so there's even a yeah, biblical I, I precedent for, for prioritizing right? do, care. do good to all, especially those of yeah. the household of God. So, yeah, it, it, yeah in that sense, I'd kind of go, well, I guess, if that's what you mean by favoritism. <laughs> but I'd go, yeah. there is a prioritization Certainly. of going, the the more committed you are as a family member in this body, the more responsibility we have for each other. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah, so the, the loose connections, I'll talk about those last. The, the drop-ins, our general policy is we don't, do anything, uh, financial assistance with drop-ins. We'll do, uh, like a fries gift card or a gas card, that kind of or thing. Or food box. Our food box. Um, or, but we'll really with them try to go, Hey, you're not a part of our church. And a lot of times like, I'll get calls from, you know, West Mesa, like Dobson and Broadway or like, we go, obviously they're kind of looking for their phone book or they have a friend that goes to somewhere and they just happen to call gateway first. And so what I'll do in those situations is I will really kind of go, what are the resources close by where you live where there is a greater possibility for that proximity mm-hmm. um, to happen with people that can walk with you? You know, we have our community partners with Hope Women's Center, Compassion Connect, and so connecting those people with with some of those resources nearby. Um, so I'll try to do some of that. Um, but with a loosely connected, there's a there's a little bit of ambiguity in there where, um, you know, in those in those situations, I'm really thinking about is this an opportunity to bless someone kind of extravagantly um, and really show them the unconditional love of Christ? And so there have been, there have been different connections we've made with women who are not a part of our church who are coming out of extremely abusive, violent marriages um, whose husbands have done some pretty awful things and are not paying money, that kind of stuff, you know, quitting jobs, they don't have to pay child support. Right. And, um, they're not a part of the body, but the need is so great that they're not able to get that met through different kinds of resources. And so the church isn't a unique situation that to kind of, you know, that be the best friend our community has to love extravagantly. And so there are some of those situations where we'll, we'll treat somebody as if they are a part of the body of Christ, um, simply because the situation's that dire and we want to love them. Yeah. Um, and so like that's, there's a little bit of just autonomy that I have in some of those situations to go, Hey, this feels like something where we're going to escalate this to a level of, you know, member care. Um, yeah. I, I would call it like, discretion more yeah. than autonomy. Yeah. Cause that was the word I meant to say. And I yeah, couldn't think you're of under it. oversight, but, yeah. but the oversight has kind of said, Hey, in these situations, yep. you should use discretion. Yeah. Um, I mentioned earlier that we've had, we've more in the benevolence fund than we've ever had. And so one of the things that uh, the elders have asked you to do is say, Hey, would you actually be even more proactive than normal? Um, you know, you know, of people in different needs, they haven't asked for it. Uh, they haven't, you know, gone through whatever process, but would you kind of more proactively say, Hey, could we help here? Yeah. Um, not just cause we're like, Hey man, how do we get rid of this money? But more like going, <laughs> Hey, this money was given for this purpose. Yeah. It, it wasn't given to just sit in some bank account earning nothing, no interest. Um, it's designed to be used. And so, uh, let's try to use it. What, um, what's that process been like over these last, this last month really or so since, yeah. since we asked you to do that? It's, it's been one of the most fun months of ministry. Um, it's been an absolute blast. Um, 
just to, to be able to surprise people. Yeah. Um, and so I had a, you know, I talked with a few people, Hey, I'm, I'm aware of these situations. Is there anybody you know of? And, and so obviously kind of protect people stuff, but broad categories of, again, women come out of, um, uh, abusive marriages where their support is they're trying to, you know, kind of get settled in, um, you know, with, uh, stuff like that. There's been some people that have some really significant unexpected medical expenses where we've been able to kind of meet their out of, you know, their deductible mm-hmm. stuff so they can, you know, not be negatively affected. There's been, um, you know, vehicle repairs and people who have lost jobs that were able to kind of come in and go, Hey, we want to, want to pay a couple months of your rent. So, you know, you can really kind of not exhaust all of your savings fund while you're trying to get, you know, make ends meet and get stuff set up. And so it's been a lot of, that does sound fun. It is. Honestly, it's been a lot of fun. It's also very sobering to go, Holy cow. I have a list of, you know, 15 people. Um, and that's probably a microcosm of the need that's really there, but this is just what I know about. Right. So that, that part of it's been sobering. It's me like, I wish more people would come and say, Hey, I have this need or I have this friend. Sure. Um, but, but it's been a lot of fun to go through that and then call them and go, Hey, here's a situation the church is in. Um, I was kind of coming out of left field. Tell me a little bit about the situation. And then as they're sharing, I'm going, all right, we'd like to do this. Hmm. And then just to have people go, you know, the pause, <laughs> you know, and then you hear the tears, just the hmm. wow. Yeah. Um, and, and that wow is an appropriate reaction to the grace of God. Yeah. Um, obviously in, in salvation that, that God would, would choose to, to redeem any of us. And then to have that in a, kind of small scale thing of, of just the wow of, of God's grace through the work of the people in our church who've been generous and donating to them. It's fun to be able to kind of be on the front lines of that. It's just been, yeah. it's been a lot of fun. What's been, what's been kind of, I don't, I don't want to say sad, but it's just been interesting to observe. And this has not just been the past month, but really over the past several years as I've been involved with benevolence is just how often people apologize for their need. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, like, I feel bad. I'm sure there's other people that, that are in need, too. I'm like, yeah, that's true. But I know about you, you know. And sure. just because there's other people in need doesn't minimize your own need. Sure. But there's just been there's been a lot of kind of apologizing and, you know, like, I, I want to say no, but, I you know. And, and I look at that and just go, um, it's it's just that, that sh- I don't know if it's shame or if it's guilt or something is just to go, like, if, if I'm needy, if I'm a, if I'm a recipient of somebody else's generosity, um, somehow I feel bad about that. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I I think about in almost every way, it's hard to receive grace. Hmm. You know, I mean, we're going to talk in a couple of weeks about salvation and how God saves sinners. And like, it's hard to just accept that we want to pay God back and we want to, we want to participate and we want to feel like we deserved it. And, and you can't when it comes to salvation. And I think it, it's like that in so many other ways is it, it is hard to just receive a gift, right? Yeah. You and I, over the last number of years, have each gotten the chance to take some extended time off, kind of a sabbatical. And there's a part where you feel guilty. Absolutely. You feel like, man, this, I don't know if I deserve this. And other people, and it's like, it's a gift. Yeah. Receive it as a gift. Um, and I think we feel like, you know, on the other hand, we don't want to feel entitled. Right. Oh, good, Mark. You finally called me to help me fix my car. Like I was waiting, you know, no one wants that spirit, but somewhere in between that entitlement and that I have to deserve it is I think probably where the Lord wants us. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I just, to, to people who wrestle with that, whether it's a a guilt or shame or just, you know, wrestle with 
acknowledging neediness or receiving that kind of gift. Um, just the, the encouragement with that I want to give is that um, being, being in that position and receiving a gift means that you've been seen. Mm. Um, I think about it, I think it's in Genesis, Genesis 16, you've got Hagar out in the wilderness. You know, after, you know, Sarah hatched this plot here, you know, have my baby with Abraham. Oh, wait, I'm, you know, jealous now. Go away and die in the wilderness. And the angel of the Lord pursues Hagar in the wilderness. And the name that she gives him is the God who sees. I think it's Elroy. I, I'm not a Greek or Hebrew person either, so I probably pronounced it wrong. But um, but the, the yeah. God who sees. And, and he, sees, yeah. wow. he sees the outcast. He sees the oppressed. That's where his, you know, the whole thing of that's where his heart is directed. But there's this this personal seeing you, the individual, and your need and your situation and, and God being moved to do something about it. Um, receiving that need, uh, being met, is is an act of, of being seen. And that, you know, that shows up again in, in Exodus too. You have the Israelites in Egypt, crying out under the hand of their oppressors as slaves in Egypt. And at the end of Exodus chapter two, it talks about this cry of, you know, the weeping bitterly that reaches God's ears. And it says that God and God saw hmm. and God knew. Um, and, and let's be honest, like, yeah, we have, we have real tangible needs that, that have to be met. Um, but what we need more than anything else is to be seen, to be in relationship, to be in covenant with other people and with God. And so, um, and so that, again, that encouragement I give is like, be, be okay being seen. Like that's, that's a prerequisite to really experiencing love and grace and, and the relationship with God and the people he's put around you. Well, that's a great word. And, and, uh, I think that is kind of what we're trying to say is that we know God sees us yeah. and as God's representatives, as his people, we want to try to see each other and see, the people that God sees. I mean, this is a lot of the way that God sees people is through other people. Yeah. Um, and so that's, uh, that's our heart in it. So Mark, this has been a fun conversation, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being here. Um, thanks for letting me fill in. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad. I think it was a good conversation and, um, we'll be back next week. Uh, this, this Sunday we're talking about generosity and I'm actually pretty excited. There's, uh, something I think we're gonna, uh, something that we're gonna, make known on Sunday and kind of an opportunity to actually put the generosity thing into practice um, in a way that I think will be kind of fun and cool. But um, we'll talk about that more on Sunday. And then uh, next week we'll be here to debrief that and, and go a little deeper. So thanks for listening. Thanks for stopping by and have a great week.